Hello and welcome to the Euro Trips podcast. Unlike football at the moment, we have taken a week hiatus, but we are back to talk all things European football. It is just three of us tonight. We are missing Alex and Jonathan, but they will be featuring in the podcast all things France and Germany. Um, but we are still three of us here. I'm still here with our normal regulars, Naeem and Ryan. How are you, boys? Good, thank you. Yeah, all good here. All good here. Good stuff, good stuff. And you all looking forward to Christmas? Yeah, looking forward to the time off. Um, yeah. obviously, obviously, we'll talk about it, but obviously the games in the Premier League, they're not, they haven't been cancelled. So at least there'll be some sort of formal football on since the um, our other respective leagues will be on a little break. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. How about you, Ryan? You all good? Looking forward to Christmas? Just a day off when you're an adult, adult really, and sit without kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it depends on what kind of, what kind of work you're in as well. I mean, um, yeah. obviously for me, it's great because obviously I'm in university, but um, for obviously yourselves who work, it's not quite the same as when you were a kid. No, I'm not. It doesn't bother me, to be honest, that much. I'm, don't get excited for it. Like I say, it's just nice to have a lie in and <laughs> chill out, really. Yeah. I mean, I, myself, I absolutely love Christmas. I, I can give or take Easter, Halloween, all, New Year's Eve, et cetera, et cetera, but for me... Christmas is the one time of year I just have, I just absolutely love, and also it's my birthday not not long after that. So um, yeah, I do love that time of year. And of course, we have done um, me, Nyman Ryan, and a friend of ours, Amy, do a secret Santa. We have done for the last couple of years. So um, obviously, we'll, once we open our presents, we'll let you know who got who and what we got. So um, that should be a good development for the pod. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll go to you first. Now, whilst I'm mentioning your name, uh, we'll go to you first. Um, so what has been happening in Spain these last uh, two weeks? Um, so yeah, I won't I won't go through the, the games from last week because obviously there's quite a few, but I'll just quickly just highlight highlight. Um, so last Sunday was the Madrid derby. Um, Real Madrid took on Atletico Madrid and beat them two 0 at home. Uh, Vinicius Junior he was he got two assists. Um, obviously before the game he got he got his award for Player of the Month um, for November. Um, so Benzema he he got the first goal in the 16th minute. It was a Lovely cross from Vinicius Junior into the box and Benzema on the volley, the, the smashed it right in. Old Black had no chance, but obviously in terms of the game, um, it was quite a tight game. Like, you know, um, Atletico Madrid did have their chances, but yeah, Real Madrid they they were just a better team on the day. Um, and that, another one to look out for, Osasuna they drew two two with Barcelona. Um, so they dropped a few more points there. Uh, Real Betis. Um, they beat Real Sociedad, a team that obviously is battling for those European spots 4-0 as well. So that, that was a good good victory then. Also in that game as well, um, they've done their yearly tradition of where they, of, you might have seen it online, but they've literally at halftime, they'll, they'll throw toys onto the pitch, obviously for disadvantaged kids um, at Christmas. Um, so that was nice to see as well. But um, in terms of the other games um, that weekend, Sevilla, they got a 1-0 away win against Athletic Club. Uh, Espanyol won 4-3 against Levante, who are still without a win. Um, Mallorca, they drew 0-0 with Celta Vigo. Um, and the last game of that, the previous weekend, was Cadiz against Granada. That finished 1-1. So, going on to the games this weekend, um, kicked off with Celta Vigo. They took on Espanyol on 1-3-1. Royal Vallecano, um, still doing well so far this season. They got a 2-0 win against Deportivo. Real Sociedad, they lost again, this time losing to Villarreal 3-1 at home. 
Barcelona, they got back to winning ways by beating Elche 3-2. Atletico Madrid, um, they lost 2-1 to Sevilla. That's obviously two defeats in a row now for them. Granada, they beat uh, Mallorca 4-1 at home. Athletic Club, they beat Real Betis 3-2. Um, obviously, amongst the goals was Joan Mead, um, who has scored in his last five games. He's um, hit a bit of goal-scoring form at the right moment. Getafe, they won 1-0 against Osasuna. And one of the surprise results for the weekend was, obviously, Real Madrid. They took on Cadiz at home. Um, they actually ended the game 0-0. They had a total of 36 shots, uh, but obviously only nine on target. They dominated the possession. They pretty much should have won about three or four nil, but Cadiz, they obviously held on and got the nil-nil draw. And then the last game of that weekend was Valencia. They beat uh, Levante 4-3 away from home. So obviously where we didn't have the podcast last week, um, Obviously, Aguero, he announced last week that he's obviously retiring from football and an emotional uh, conference he um, held. Obviously, he, he was more of a Premier League great, but obviously when he was in Spain with Atletico Madrid, he did have a good goal-scoring record. And anywhere he's gone, he's had a good goal-scoring record. But obviously, when it comes down to your health and the doctors are telling you that um, it's best for you to retire, um, you can obviously understand why he's emotional. Obviously, since he obviously lost football and... It's, it's, a, it's something that he loves doing, so being told that, um, it's not the nicest thing to hear. But obviously, yeah, health comes first. And yeah, he will be missed um, because obviously he only got one goal for Barcelona. That was obviously against Real Madrid. But, you know, it's, it's a bit sad, obviously, because we're not going to see him uh, play in the Liga again. But yeah, these, obviously, these things happen. Um, and yeah, you just got to listen to the doctors because, you know, you, you don't want to be collapsing and then not coming back from that. And then in, in other news, um, I'll just quickly just go through the Champions League fixtures for the Spanish teams. Obviously, with that draw, they had to redo it, um, re- redo the draw. So, originally, um, Atletico Madrid, uh, they 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 are now taking on uh, Man United. Um, so, that, those, that, that draw will obviously be played in February. Um, Villarreal, they've got Juventus. Um, obviously, Juventus are not in the greats of form, so Villarreal might fancy their chances there. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's it for the Spanish teams. Um, and for the Europa League, obviously, we've got some playoff um, draws. Um, probably the tie of the tie of the tie of the draws. What is Barcelona against Napoli? Obviously, Napoli finished um, second in their Europa League group, and Barcelona finished third in their Champions League group, so they dropped down. So they'll be playing each other. And Sevilla will be play- taking on Dynamo Zagreb, who are obviously in West Ham's group. So obviously, luckily, West Ham finished group winners, so they wouldn't have to face Sevilla. Um, let's go quickly go through the table um, while I'm here. So, so the bottom three, not much has changed there, but obviously Levante, they still remain rock bottom without any wins um, this season, the only team in the league. They're on eight points. Um, Cadiz, they are, they, they are second from bottom on 14 points. Um, well, as, as I speak, I think... Well, Villarreal, they've gone one all up against Deportivo. Um, that's a game in hand. So uh, Deportivo, they would drop down into the relegation zone, obviously, because of goal difference. Um, at the top of the table, so Real Madrid, they dropped points on the weekend um, at home, but they still remain first with 43 points. Um, behind in second place is 
Sevilla over 37 points, who are playing Barcelona later on. So if they win that game, they'll be three points behind uh, Robert going into the Christmas break. Third place um, is Real Betis. They're still going strong this season. They're on 33 points. Uh, Rayo Vallecano, um, obviously the team that came up this season, they 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 sit in fourth place with 30 points. Still, they're still still doing well so far this season. It'll be good to see if they can keep it up um, on the second half of the season. Uh, fifth place is Atletico Madrid, who have now lost their last three games. They're on 29 points. And in the last European spot is Real Sociedad on 29 points. So, yeah, um, there is obviously a game planned at the moment. Obviously, Villarreal, they're winning 1-0 against Deportivo. Sevilla got Barcelona at half A and Atletico Madrid, they're playing tomorrow. Um, they've got Granada and there's another game which is Athletic Club against Real Madrid. So if Real Madrid win that, they'll have another game and they'll have a game. They would have played a game more than obviously the other teams. Um, and then, yeah, after that game, yeah, the next game will be on New Year's Day. So, yeah, that's what's been happening in La Liga in the last week and a half. Thank you very much. I just want to get your boys' thoughts. I saw the other day on, on, I can't remember what the actual Instagram page was that mentioned this, but, they referred to Barcelona's 2019 that won six trophies that year. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that 09 team um, is the best club side in history? Or is there a different team you think should be in that category of being the best club side of all time? Um, well, since since I've been watching football, I would say, I'll probably say yes, they are probably one of the best club sides I have seen. Um, obviously, they won the treble that year. Um you know, the team that they had was was just unreal. You know, you had Xavi and Iniesta, you had Messi there, you had Henri, Eto'o. Um, obviously, you had Piol back there, PK. Their, their team was literally just, you pretty much had uh, world-class players in near enough all their positions. You know, they won all the trophies that were on, on obviously, on display that season. And, you know, was, I think that was Pep's uh, first full season, I want to say. Or maybe it might have been the season before, but... Yeah, they're they're pretty much up there. Um, obviously, uh, as an Arsenal fan, I'll say the Invincibles. But you know, we only really done it domestically that season. You know, we didn't didn't go too far in Champions League. We should have, you know, we really should have got gone to the final that year. But yeah, I'll I'll say that yeah, they're the best club side I've seen um, uh, since I've been watching football. I'd say. And what about you, Ryan? Would you agree, or were there a different team you'd have um, as the best team of all time? I think undeniably that's they're the standouts obviously just because of the amount of trophies that they won that year and there wasn't one sort of weak spot in that team at all like I say there are a few different teams you could chuck in the mix Arsenal's Invincibles being one Man United's treble winners being another uh, Real Madrid's Champions League winning sides um, throughout the 2010s even you know Liverpool and Man City's title winning teams over the last couple of years Mm. You, you you could put them all up there, quite frankly. It's, but again, just because of how dominant they were, and everyone was petrified to play them. No, 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 nobody wanted to play Barcelona during that sort of little period. So, and that's when we saw Messi. I think at his at his peak that that uh-huh. that year, when he um was it where he broke ninety odd goals for the calendar year. It was just unreal. But I think I was a little bit further along. But yeah, I'd say. I'd say they are the uh, best club side we've ever seen. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I will say I'm probably going to give it the edge to maybe Barca's 2011 team, the one that beat Man U second time on at Wembley. Cause, I mean, I'm looking at the start of the thing, the 2019 won more trophies, but I'm looking at the team now. I mean, they had Yara Toy centre back and they had Sylvania left back and then Henri up front and Eto on out wide. Whereas the 2011 team had David Villa um, up front. Um, I forget the rest of the teams. They had obviously Mascherano, PK Abadal. Middle three was exactly the same. Then they had Pedro, Messi, and Villa. So I think you you could also put 2011 in that in that mixture. But I think you can't for me look past Barcelona for for best club team in certainly our lifetimes, if not ever. And I think the same thing could be said for the, the Spanish national team as well. I think that that was an excellent team. I think that I'm not I'm not going to go down the bias, but it's in Liverpool. I think on paper, I think. That team absolutely dominates in most areas, but I do think that in terms of look at the Premier League's greatest teams, I think, you know, I think we were close to being. I think if we'd done better, I think we we had a chance of winning a, a treble quadruple because we we lost to Atletico Madrid thanks to Adrian. We lost in the FA Cup thanks to Adrian. Um, <laughs> so so, so I, I will say that I don't think we even if we'd beaten Chelsea, Atletico in the FA Cup and Champions League, I do think that. We could have easily gone on and won more than just that one trophy that year. We won the league if it wasn't not only for the COVID disruption, but also a certain Spanish keeper we had deputising for um, Alison. But we do move on because I don't want to go on to that tag guy too much. Um, <laughs> Start getting angry, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and definitely not many players I don't like in our team right now, but he's one of them on the pitch. Um, I think that's it, really. Literally him, and that's probably it. Um, but yeah, we are going to move on now to France. So, obviously, I mentioned before that Alex is not in the podcast, but let's hear from him now as he reviews all things Ligue 1. So, there's actually been a bit of a fixture break in Ligue 1 for uh, a couple of weeks now. The last time I was on the pod, we spoke about match day 18. Uh, that left the table as PSG top by a massive 13 points, with Marseille in second, Rendres behind, Nice in fourth, Montpellier moving up to fifth. Um, but now, uh, the 22nd of December, we're going to get a uh, we're going to get a match day 19, the final match day of the season. So, I mean, at the moment, as time of recording, obviously these games are yet to play. It'll be eight o'clock on Sun- um, Wednesday evening. Uh, one to look out for maybe AS Monaco v Rennes. That could be quite an interesting game. Monaco uh, currently stuck in eighth at the moment, although only four points off fourth position. Uh, nice. Um, we've got Lille versus Bordeaux. Lille, even though they got through their Champions League group, they're currently in eleventh. They are also five points off of fourth place, which is really showing how tight this uh, league and season is. Uh, PSG are away against Lorient and got a bit of insight information to insider information. Sorry to share on that. It looks like Pochettino has been working on a 3 4 3. He's been waiting for Ramos to come back. He's going to play down the center of the back three with Marquinhos and uh, Kimpembe either side of him with uh, Nuno Mendes and Hakimi at wing backs. I guess the idea behind this would be it allows Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe perhaps. More room to be more lazy up front. Uh, that's the best way I can really sum it up. Uh, but yeah, there's not too many other games to look out for besides that. Lots of games you'd expect one team to push another. I mean, the other one maybe to keep an eye on is Nice versus uh, Lance. Obviously, Lance just bought in Patrick Berg from Bodo Glimt um, in Norway. Uh, I think he'll be arriving in January, uh, I imagine. 
obviously Lawns have been in a good season this year. They're, they're currently sixth, only uh, three points off fourth place Nice, uh, which we've said multiple times already. Uh, so, yeah, maybe it'll be interesting to watch how those two teams play because I've been watching Nice under Christophe Gaultier, Lille's manager, and they just haven't really clicked up front. kind of feels like the attack's kind of, kind of stuttering. So, hopefully Nice can get something against Lens. Uh, obviously, PSG are probably going to win the league and they'll be quite far ahead. But, yeah, keep an eye out for the games uh, 8 o'clock on Wednesday evening. Thank you, Alex, for your league earn review. Now, next thing we're going to head to is in Italy. So, Ryan, what's been happening in Italy this past fortnight? Well, where to begin and end, really? Um, <laughs> we've got a new league leader. We've got a team on the brink of being demoted from the league and another club being investigated by the financial police, really. So, take your pick. Um, That's the usual, then, eh? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, dirty dogs up there. Um, <laughs> but two of those statements are regarding the same team, which is in the Milan, who have gone top of the table after an impressive six games of winning straight, uh, with the five of those actually keeping clean sheets. So they've been mightily impressive over the last couple of weeks as well. But they're now also being investigated, as I mentioned, by the Italian financial police over a similar issue to that of Juventus, basically exaggerating the player transfer fees and their accounts, basically just being... uh, you know, naughty little fuckers, really. And it's, I don't think anything will will come of it. You know, they might get fined or you know, something like that. I don't think they're going to see any points deductions or anything like that. It's a little bit too soon to see what comes of it. But, yeah, it's never a dull moment, is it? Uh, in regards to the club that's being threatened, actually, with the expulsion from the league, that's at the other end of the table with Salernitana, who... If they don't actually find a new buyer for the club by the end of this month, December, they'll be relegated to Serie B, uh, which they're on course for anyway. They're the worst team in the league by quite a distance. You know, they're a really, really poor side. But basically, they've got the same owner as Lazio, and that's obviously a big no-no for most European leagues, really, including Italy. And it's been coming for a little while now, but it was sort of said that they were going to have to the end of the season to sort it out, in which they would have probably gone into the second division anyway. But now uh, the head of the Italian FA has basically said it's got to be done by the end of this month. So I'm not sure what the protocol is if they do get sent down with a, you know, a side from, you know, Serie B gets promoted straight away, or whether just they play with 19 clubs and, you know, all those fixtures, the other clubs get awarded the three points and a three 0 win maybe. Who knows? But yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, in terms of the league table, there's six points between the top four, with Inter Milan holding a four-point advantage at the top. Roma in fifth, they're six points off the top four themselves, but them, Fiorentina and Juventus are all on 31 points. So there's a long way to go, but it feels like there's a there's almost a four-way battle for the title and then a three-way battle for the Europa League spot because. There's only, as far as I know, one Europa League spot that goes to Serie A with sixth place actually going to the Europa Conference League. So we could see Juve in that league uh, co- or competition rather next season, which would be hilarious. Um, <laughs> down at the other end, as I say, Salernitana are all but doomed. Um, but Cagliari and Genoa could also be heading the same way because they are both on 10 points apiece, three points off safety. 
and they're both playing really, really bad at the moment. This is a Cagliari team that features the likes of Diego Godin, uh, Kevin Strootman, Jao Pedro. You know, so they're very much an underperforming club this season. You know, they're not looking good at all. But it's funny that they actually lost one of the league top goal scorers in Giovanni Simeone at the start of the season. I actually thought he went for a, a permanent transfer. He's only on loan at Hellas Verona, which is madness at the moment, considering the form that he's in. But, you know, can't predict the future. So I think they'll definitely be regretting that decision. But, yeah, anyway, uh, last but not least, one of the hottest properties in world football at the moment in Dusan Vlahovic has moved clear now in the scoring charts with 16 goals this season from 18 games. That's incredibly impressive and I'm very, very intrigued to see where he ends up. I don't think he'll move in January. I think it will probably be next summer. Um, I'm very, as I say, intrigued to see which club goes in for him because I think there'll be a lot of clubs. Fiorentina have pretty much now, you know, reluctantly accepted the fact that he will leave the club. They offered him the biggest contract that anyone would have ever got at Fiorentina throughout their entire history, which is quite a big statement. And then he still rejected that contract. He obviously wants to go to a bigger club um, in all respect to them. And yeah, I mean, he's been linked to sort of here, there and everywhere, but, you know, it's going to be interesting. That's, that's what I wanted to ask you know, you two, the same thing really about the next two transfer windows because I think they could be two of the biggest windows that we've seen for a very long time, especially January. But next summer, we're going to see so much movement, especially with strikers. You think of Erlen Haaland's probably going to move, Mbappe's probably going to go. And then you've got the likes of Vlahovic as well. And you look around, especially with all the young strikers as well, I think we could see some... Some big movement, you know, you've got Martial United who who wants to leave as well. You've got Aubameyang and Lacazette who are on their way out of Arsenal, it looks like. So, um, that's basically that's my, my question to, to you two and what to expect from the next two windows, really. Um, well, if you look at these, sorry, the entire names, I think there's loads of players um, that obviously looking at the data from transfer market, a lot of the players that are available on the Bosman next summer, Mbappe's one, Paul Pogba's one, mm-hmm. uh, Frank Kessie, Paolo Dybala, Ruspan Dembele, Lorenzo Insigne, Antonio Rudiger. Um, there's so many players. I mean, I think Lingard as well, I think he's bound to move at some point. Um, and I think Di Maria's one, Suarez one, uh, Tolisso, uh, Asper Equator, Divock Origi, Luka Modric, Gareth Bale, Ivan Perisic. And that's just some of even Larissa's one. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, I think Newcastle can have a big factor. I think they're going to be a huge factor because obviously, I don't think personally that they're obviously their record right now. If, if, if they don't, if they don't, if they, if they don't survive, I think it'll be a different story. But I think if they can survive in the Premier League, you know, finish 17th or 16th, I think that could be, they'll, I think they'll still track players with, with that money they've got and the, money they, the wages they could offer players. But I do think that we're seeing so many high-profile players that could leave. You look at, you mentioned Haaland. You mentioned, uh, I don't know how you plan to name the guy who scored all the goals. You just mentioned uh, Vavlovic. Um, it, it's it's incredible. It's just, sorry, that's a really bad pronunciation. <laughs> I do apologise. Dusan Vlahovic. Vlahovic. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, it's just 
yeah, I, I think we are heading for a potential big summer. And I think, especially this year, where there's no World Cup in the summer, it's in the winter instead, uh, mm. there's a lot more time for players to move. And I think, uh, I do feel that we... Uh, since Mbappe, I think the only one place he'll go is is is, is Madrid. Um, it's actually Liverpool, but I think that room is complete rubbish. And then the Haaland thing, I think there's so many different clubs he can go to. And I think Matati's probably the favourite, in my eyes, to, to get him for their need of a striker and also the links with his dad. But I, there's so many different players that could move. And I, I think, personally, it all hangs for me, in, in some sense, on how Newcastle do this season. I mean, yeah, like I say, we'll go to Nyan in, in a second. But I mean, with Newcastle, I think they're going to struggle even with the money that they do have to attract the kind of names that they're being linked with just because of where they are standing at the moment. Obviously, they're in 18th, but the teams above them all have games in hand as well. So we could see that gap, you know, increase ever more. And obviously bringing in, if if they go and spend a hundred odd million or whatever they're planning to spend, it's not guaranteed that these players are going to come in and be any, you know, any success really. And, Obviously, I hope they don't go down because club that I like, but I think they're definitely going to go in hard. They, they've got no choice. They need they need quality, and it's going to be intriguing to see the kind of names and the kind of money they're willing to throw. Obviously, because they've they've got it, but again, again, they've got to be careful because they could end up in a similar situation to Everton, who spent all that money over the past couple of windows, and they're now in a situation where. They're not, they're not going to be able to spend that money anytime soon because of the financial fair play rules. They're going to have to now probably sell probably Richarlison or Calvert-Lewin in order for them to sort of balance their you know, financial um, conduct pretty much. So it's 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 really intriguing. And uh, as Haaland as well, you know, his, his agent Mina Rayola is like, sort of touting him around Europe at the moment. He's strongly linked to Barcelona, weirdly enough. And they're also in talks, according to Fabrizio Romano, to, to sign Ferran Torres, which amazed me because he's done so well for City. And I don't know why they'd want to sell him, especially for only reportedly about 60 million as well. I don't even know how Barcelona have got the money to spend. They're a billion euros in debt. So really, really, really odd. But... I don't know what you what you make of it all knowing. Um, well, yeah, we've we've obviously the players moving. Um, I think there's quite a lot of clubs that obviously do need strikers in this. Um, obviously now or maybe in the summer. Obviously got well, Man City. You you won't really say they don't need one now because obviously they're doing so well. They're getting goals from all over the pitch, but they still do need a striker. Obviously Arsenal need a striker because we've got obviously a, a Bamiang. He's pretty much ousted now. Uh, Lacazette will be leaving on a free, and Ketty will be gone, even though he was never really a first-team player anyway. But that, that's three, three strikers we have at the club um, that are going to either be going on a free or there's not going to be playing or will be sold on. So I think there'll be a lot of clubs um, in January probably either trying to get a striker in or they might wait until the summer. But I was reading somewhere that um, FIFA, I think they're... Um, they're going to be put on, on caps on agent fees um, for transfers. So, you know how like some agents, they, they want X amount, a million pound for like a transfer, I think. Sorry? Yeah, him, that greedy guy. Um, yeah. I think 
I think they will try and get all these like pre-contracts sorted out um, now before obviously the summer comes because well, they're still going to get paid handsomely anyway. But obviously there's going to be a cap on it, and um, it, yeah. So I think I think there'll be quite a bit of activity um, in January because there are quite a lot of uh, clubs um, in the top leagues that um, do need to obviously sign players to obviously um, push on obviously for their title challenges or in the Champions League. So. I think, yeah, there will be quite a lot of um, movement um, in January because, you know, you've got the World Cup in, what, 10 months, uh, well, 11 months from now. So I think players would rather leave in January um, so they can secure their places in the squads and go on a bit of a run so they can obviously get called up for the World Cup. So, yeah, I reckon there will be quite a bit of movement um, this, this January because in the summer there was quite a lot of transfers, but it wasn't really... That well, yeah, yeah. Obviously, the odd few that obviously went for 100 million, like you know Lukaku and Grealish. But um, other than that, um, there wasn't really too many other big, big money um signings. So yeah, I think clubs will obviously splash the cash in January for, for obviously for the players that they need. I mean, we're just moving on to a different subject just before Andy um, comes in with the Premier League, mm. and uh, we obviously hear from Jonathan and the Bundesliga as well. Um, I was researching the other day about obviously the, you know we've spoken about it a little bit there with, about the World Cup next year as well, and it's something that I you know I thought about you know going to obviously I've never been to a World Cup it's I, I think without a doubt maybe maybe on par with the Champions League being the ultimate sort of trip for any football fan as well especially mm-hmm. if their country is there, but it's astonishing to me I didn't realise how actually small a country Qatar is apparently it's the size of Yorkshire <laughs> and wow and it, it, it's, it's mad because they only actually have enough accommodation for a, I think it was between 100 to 200,000 people and they're expecting over half a million uh, over a million and a half fans there um I know they're getting cruise ships in and apparently they're looking at building fan villages which they're going to have to but I I don't know what your opinions are. I mean, obviously, it's a World Cup with a lot of controversy anyway. But the fact that most fans aren't even going to be able to go. I, I, I researched it and obviously thinking of us going, obviously, for our YouTube channel for Euro Trips. And it it looks like it's just going to be ridiculous money to go to. Even even if you went for a couple of days, flights already a, a, a mad money, you know, accommodation. You're looking at probably about £500 a night. Just but, and that's for that's, that's not even the a good com- accommodation really either. I don't know what you know the fan villages and things like that. I've inquired, you know, on the FIFA website about it. Um, but yeah, I don't know what what your opinions are sort of on on that. Well, they should have never gotten the World Cup in the first place. Everyone knows, you know, that well, they didn't have any didn't have any, didn't have any stadiums built. You know, you've had the controversy over obviously the workers, uh, their conditions over there, and them dying and whatnot. But um, yeah, it's it's obviously it's just before Christmas as well. Um, most countries in the world that will have nations there, um, people will probably be thinking about for Christmas more than going to a World Cup because, like you said, if it's going to cost so much money, people are just going to be a bit deterred away from going out there because. The whole point of a World Cup is obviously bring all the nations together, all the fans and whatnot. But if you're just if you're going to price all these fans out, then really, what's the point, really? But I, I never agreed with it being in Qatar anyway in the first place. Um, and obviously, this is 
is another reason why, really. But yeah, and, and also um, a little sidetrack as well. Um, the the what they're proposing with the two the World Cup every two years, I, I strongly disagree against that. But obviously that can be another topic for another podcast. But um, yeah, that, that's how, that's how I feel about it. it. Should never be there. Um, people are going to be priced out, and uh, I, I don't. It, it'll just still be um, attended quite a lot, but it's just not going to be the same like atmosphere you're going to get from previous World Cups. But you know, we, we shall see anyway. I, I could be wrong, but yeah, it's, I, I don't see how it's going to really work that much. I don't think it's going to go down as a memorable World Cup, but we'll see anyway. That, I, that is a thing. I mean, first of all, Alison Wenger, Wenger, what you do to try to introduce two year, two every two years of World Cup, it's just ridiculous. Why he even wants to suggest that? It's just more um, money, isn't it? At the end of the day, that's yeah, what they care about. That, that's exactly what it is, and I think it's no coincidence that it's been happening after the whole collapse of the Super League. But I want, I will say one thing on the World Cup in Qatar. I think you're completely right about everything in terms of the cost. No one's going to want to pay that many. No. Um, I mean, everyone, everyone mentions the whole thing when you guys play Chelsea in Europa League final, how hard it was to get to Baku. Oh, um, yeah. but I, I will say one thing. that I'm actually not against it being in winter. I actually, I'm actually <laughs> looking forward to it. And the only reason why is that because, you know, we all the sport as it is, like Premier League Christmas time, off myself watching the NFL and NBA Christmas time or the, the darts and all that because I think there's something special about sports at Christmas time mm. and I do feel that yes well you know it, it's hard to get to and it, sh- it shouldn't be going to a country that didn't have the stadiums in the first place but I do think there's something about for me that I, I sport at Christmas so I'm looking forward to watching the World Cup in my PJs you know <laughs> you know like you know you know, you know you know when you like Christmas time you sort of overindulge you sort of eat more rubbish than you normally do food wise and I think I don't know. I'm looking forward to seeing the World Cup finals the 23rd. I want to say of December. So it's I don't know. I, I think it'll be I think it'll be quite good and unique. It'll be different. I mean, something we're something we're not used to, but something will be it'll be different. So I actually I'm not against it personally. I'm actually looking forward to watching the World Cup in my PJs personally. But, um, but oh, yeah, I, I I totally get what you're saying about everything else. I mean, most of it is completely wrong. Um, I don't think the players will like it either, being away from families that close to Christmas. Mm. But then again, I suppose they do that anyway when they go play Premier League, I suppose. So, yeah, that's true, yeah. Um, yeah. One country that isn't used to football in the winter is Germany. So let's head to Jonathan as he reviews the Bundesliga over the last two weeks. This was the final match day of the first half of the Bundesliga season. And of course, it started out with another Bayern Munich victory as they beat Wolfsburg 4-0. It was never really close from the start. Bayern ran away with yet another, another quality win against a fairly decent opponent. Wolfsburg obviously struggling um, over these last few weeks, even a month or two, but they still have a lot of depth and talent in their squad. And Bayern were just far and away the better team, much more quality shown on the pitch. Um, And you might as well just give the title to them. They're now nine points clear of Borussia Dortmund. They will run away with this title in the second half of the season. As Dortmund continue to lack that midfield and defense that they seem to forget about and almost every transfer window. And that is what separates them from Bayern Munich. No other squad will be able to compete with Bayern. And while it's getting tiring, it is a deserved, deserved Bundesliga crown for Bayern when it does come in a couple of months. But back to Dortmund, they again played down to a lesser opponent as they lost to Hertha Berlin 3-2. to 
just a terrible, terrible showing. Dortmund can't be losing this, these games. And this is what separates them from Bayern. They, Bayern, no matter who the competitor is, even if it's Bochum, if it's Firth, Armenia, Bayern still absolutely thrashes these sides. They don't let up at all. And the machine never stops. For Dortmund, they continue, continue to drop points against pretty, pretty piss-poor sides. And Hertha is another example of this. I mean, Hertha are really, really struggling. They just fired their coach, Pal Dardai, a few weeks ago. They have a new trainer in charge. Uh, They are not a very well-organized team. They've got guys like Prince, or Kevin Prince Boateng, who is extremely old, Swetsadur from Schalke. Um, you know, they lack that defensive help. It looks like Nicholas Stark, their best defender, will be going to West Ham, most likely in the January transfer window. And they aren't good. Dortmund, I don't know what to say. Uh, it's just a terrible, terrible loss. Julian Brandt scored a superb goal in the beginning of the game. And then towards the end, had a terrible mistake that led to a hurt the goal, which pretty much sums up this bipolar Dortmund team. Holland really didn't do much in this game. And if you're depending on one player... For every single match day, that's not a recipe for success. RB Leipzig, even with their new coach in charge, lost again to Armenia Bielefeld. Armenia is another team, and they will most likely get relegated this year, but they're another team at that bottom. And Leipzig lose 2-0 to Armenia, even though Armenia had a red card. They were down to 10 men. Leipzig still couldn't score. Um... For a side of this quality, it's it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. They are not in a good standing in the table at the moment. They're 10th at the midway point. If they don't make the Champions League, that is an absolute catastrophic disaster. It looks like Brian Bobby is going back to Ajax on a loan this transfer window. Um, He's not been really able to find a place in that lineup at Leipzig. So he will most likely be making a uh, move back to the Netherlands. A couple other interesting games this past weekend. Eintracht Frankfurt won yet again, 1-0 over a pretty solid Mainz side. Frankfurt are now sixth in the table at this halfway point, and I doubted them. I thought Oliver Glasner, who came in over the summer, one of the many coaches who changed teams in the Bundesliga coaching carousel, I thought he would turn out by far the worst. I don't like his style of play. He focuses first on the defense, gets them very organized, and sort of forgets about that offensive side. But they're now starting to pick up the pace. They've won a bunch of games recently, um, and they're looking, looking stellar. They won the Europa League group as well, so they could do some damage there. And um, yeah, I could definitely see them getting back into the Europa League. Probably not Champions League for them this season, but it's been a great turnaround these last few weeks under Glasner. And finally, SC Freiburg, of course. That's my squad. That's my club. Um, They beat Leverkusen, a big win, 2-1 to end this first part of the season. And Freiburg sit third in the table. That's Bayern, Dortmund, and then Freiburg. No one could have imagined this before the season started. It's an unbelievable achievement for Christian Strike, their manager who's been there for 10 years now. Um, Joaquin Sire, who is their sporting director, has made some deft transfer moves. Um, they, they hardly spent anything. They let one player go this summer, and they brought up six from their U23 squad. And they only made one true summer signing, which was Maximilian Eggestein from Werder Bremen for only a couple million euros. Um, and to be third in the table ahead of teams like Leverkusen, 
Frankfurt, Leipzig, Wolfsburg, Mönchengladbach is an unbelievable achievement. And uh, it's, it's just crazy, crazy for them to sit third. They most likely will not finish there. They really lack the depth in the end to be able to get into those Champions League places. But Europa League is a fair shout for them, which would be a hell of an achievement for this side. But yeah, we're at the halfway point. Um, it looks like Firth are clearly going down. Uh, Armenia Bielefeld will most likely follow them down as well. They barely stayed up in last year's campaign. I expect them to go down again this year. And for that third place in the Bundesliga for that promotion playoff, we could see VFB Stuttgart or Augsburg play somebody in that second tier for that playoff spot. But those teams aren't looking great at the moment. Two sides that need need to improve and need to make some moves this January window include Gladbach and Wolfsburg. Um, Gladbach, of course, even earlier this year in 2021, we're in the round of 16 knockout stages of the Champions League against Man City. They now sit 14th in the Bundesliga table, 19 points through 17 match days. It's horrendous. Uh, they're a side that don't like to make any moves in the January window, but Mateus Ginter could leave. Denis Zakaria could leave. They need, need some midfield help. They need a left winger badly. Um, too much is going on down that right side, and Jonas Hoffman is injured for the foreseeable future. So they'll have to make some moves. And Wolfsburg, they're on the second coach of this campaign. I don't think he's the answer, Florian Kofeld. They have injuries as well. Lucas Nemecha, who came over from Man City, was an absolute steal for 8 million euros this past summer. He's been their main goal-scoring threat, but he's out for a long time. They need to make some sort of change this window. Whether it's replacing their coach again, I don't know, but it's unacceptable for a side that good to be 13th in the table. Bochum has surprised several people um, and, and many of those across the Bundesliga to be 12th in the table. Uh, every, many people before the season even started thought they were a sure bet to go down, but they have a shockingly good chance of staying up. Uh, do I think they will? I think they could get into that promotional playoff spot as Augsburg and VFB Stuttgart might clip them in the end, but they've you know had some scrappy wins this season against some pretty solid upper table appointments uh, opponents to, to get to that 12th spot in the table. Yeah, everything else is pretty clear. It looks like Frankfurt and Hoffenheim are holding down those two Europa League places. Hoffenheim have been excellent. David Rahm crossing balls into the, onto the left. And once Christopher Baumgartner and, and Kramerich come back to full strength, um, Hoffenheim look to, be, look to be ready, set to roll to the Europa League. It's been a crazy season so far. Um, you know, sad to have fans. Again, you know, most teams now are sort of limiting fans in the stadium, which is which is sad, especially watching the Premier League and watching you know, stadiums continue to be packed. Um, but hopefully this COVID situation dies down sometime in the beginning of the new year and we can get those packed Bundesliga stadiums back because, man, it makes a complete difference having that atmosphere, and that's what the Bundesliga is about. So excited for the second half of the season. we got a few weeks off here, and uh, we'll see what happens. Thank you, Jonathan, for your wonderful Bundesliga review. Um, so the final league this week we are going to review is the Premier League, which is as cool, as of, as usual, covered by myself. So, yeah, the last two weeks in the Premier League, um, we mentioned it briefly in the last podcast that Norwich lost 2-0 to Aston Villa, whereas Man City beat Leeds 7-0. Um, <laughs> on the Wednesday night, Wolves beat Brighton 1-0, thanks to a goal from Roman Seiss. 
Crystal Palace and Southampton played out a 2-2 draw with goals from James Ward-Prowse, Broger, Andre Ayew and Wilfred Zaha. And Arsenal continued their great season with a 2-0 win over West Ham with goals from Emile Smith-Rowe and Gabriel Martinelli. And then Thursday, Aidan Rafa got another point um, in favour of Liverpool as Everton drew 1-1 away at Chelsea. Mason Mount opened a scoring before an equaliser from Branthwaite. And then finally, Liverpool beat Newcastle 3-1 at Anfield, a game I was at. Um, my first game in years, I was so looking forward to it and I saw the best goal I've seen ever, not only at a Liverpool game, in any game. Um, so, John Joe Shelby gave Newcastle the lead before goals from um, Diego Jota, which was a very, very controversial, probably shouldn't have been a goal. And then Mo Salah, after a mistake from John Joe Shelby, and then finally, an absolute worldie from Trent Alexander-Arnold right at the end. Um, yeah, for me, just want to say I had a wonderful time. I mean, I was a bit worried about the game not going ahead with all the COVID cancellations. You saw the uh, Burnley game getting cancelled two hours, two hours before kickoff, both on that midweek and also on the weekend following. Um, a guy from my school actually went to both games and both games got cancelled. So I feel a bit sorry for him travelling oh, all wow. that way from, from Wales to Burnley um, and wherever the other game was away from home. But yeah, I think, obviously, I am hoping I can go a bit more now. But I think COVID might ruin that. Uh, my first time going in, I believe it was four or five years, so it was really good. Uh, met some people, actually really nice people, um, to the left and right of me. And there was a really nice Scottish guy to my right, and there was a guy on my left. I want to give a shout out to because I know he's a new follower of me on Twitter. Um, his Twitter handle is called Rock Today One. Um, he was a lovely, lovely guy from Blackpool. He is a music journalist um, as a hobby, so he. Um, I told him about the podcast, so he might be, he might be listening in. So if you're listening. It was nice to meet you, and um, actually, him and his son actually missed the trend goal. They left about five minutes before the, before he scored the wonder goal, so I feel sorry for him in that sense, because it was his son's first game, and they missed probably the best goal that they'll, they'll ever see at Anfield. But we do go on to the weekend's action. Um, so on the Saturday, in a very limited <laughs> act, amount of action, thanks to all the COVID cancellations, uh, but Arsenal did beat Leeds 4-1. Um, we saw two goals from Gabriel Martinelli, a goal from Emile Smith-Rowe and Bakaya Saka, as well as a goal from Rafinha after Ben White gave away a penalty. And then Sunday, saw Man City hammer Newcastle 4-0, thanks to a wonder goal from Jao Cancelo, and then goals from Ruben Diaz, Raheem Sterling and Riyad Mahrez. Uh, in this game as well, uh, we actually saw Jack Grealish and Phil Foden both dropped after they were spotted at a nightclub. Um, Wolves and Chelsea played out a 0-0 draw. Um, two shows was... Com- Chelsea actually wanted this game to be cancelled, uh, but the Premier League denied this request, um, which is, I think, fair because the team they put out was still very strong. Uh, and then finally, Spurs and Liverpool played out one of the best games in the entire season as they played out a 2-2 draw. Uh, Liverpool took the lead through Harry Kane, who got only a second goal of the whole year before an equaliser from Diogo Jota. Andy Robertson took the, gave him the lead before um, Hyungman Son equalised after an Allison mistake and then Andy Robertson was sent off. Now, this I want to go through with you boys because for me, it was an absolute outrageous game. Because obviously, when it was still, I don't know whether it was 0 0 1 1, I think it was they just scored Spurs. I'm going to make it 1 0. And Harry Kane went in for a tackle, which was a clear, a clear red card. And it was no worse than the red card, than a tackle that Andy Robertson made for the red card, which I think still was a red card. But I think personally, either both should be red cards or neither. So I think, and then it's not even that. There was a penalty also that was denied for Liverpool, and now it's again a clear penalty. Um, now I want to get your boys' thoughts on this because I was also looking at this game through my 
red tinted glasses. Uh, <laughs> also, I think there's been a lot of outrage on on Twitter. Uh, certainly, Klopp was certainly outraged with Paul Tierney, the referee, after the game. Um, it just seemed for me highly inconsistent. I mean, looking at the red cards as well. I mean, first of all, the cable that wasn't given. They did a check, but they didn't go to the screen. Whereas um, Andy Robertson's one, they did go to the screen. And it feels like there's such inconsistency from the referees these last two years or three years, I'd say. I'd say ever since VR's come in, I really do think the actual officiating on the pitch has got a lot worse. I think referees now, personally for me, are just being almost lazy because they are now probably thinking, right, whatever I do, even if it's wrong, it doesn't matter because I've got VR to rely on. So... Yeah, for me, it's got a lot worse in the last few years. Since Clattenburg left the league, it's just gone horribly wrong in the Premier League for officiating. Um, boy, what were your boys' thoughts on that officiating on Sunday, but also just a general standard of refereeing we've seen these last, certainly this season, but also the last few years before that as well? Well, obviously watching Serie A week in, week out, it's not too dissimilar <laughs> between those you know, sort of two leagues, really, because the refereeing at the moment in Serie A is absolutely horrendous and it's the same with the Premier League you know Arsene Wenger he called it a few years ago he's you know basically said to the media that the Italian and the English referees weren't going to the World Cup for a reason because they are that poor and especially as me and I being Arsenal fans obviously we feel quite you know often that Arsenal are on the sort of receiving end of VAR decisions a lot especially Granit Xhaka as well oh yeah um you know, it's almost been admitted this week by, I don't know if it's a current referee or a former referee, that they do take into account a player's history and reputation as well, which shouldn't come into it at all. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous because, like I say, in that game, I, I, I felt personally that the red card given to um, Robertson was a little on the harsh side. It was a strong challenge, yeah. But, you know, it's not gone in two field or anything. It's not, you know, massively endangered, you know, Emerson Royale. And with the Kane one, I thought I thought that was a lot, lot worse. You know, the only thing, when I when I read on the Athletic that the reason it didn't actually, you know, get checked properly by VAR is because Rob uh, Robertson was already jumping, which is stupid, isn't it? So, so, so in, in other words, they're saying if his leg was planted there, then it would have been a red. But it, it's obviously still a dangerous tackle, regardless if he jumped out the way or not. So, and it's it's, it's quite funny that yeah. um, you know Kane himself comes out after the game and says he got the ball. He absolutely nowhere near the ball. Fuck me, like it's just madness. You know they they have to sort the the officiating out. You know, and they have to sort be clear. On, on on VAR because as you say it's becoming a joke. It's it's something that we did need. Mm. You know, we need we we do need VAR going forward, but they need to they need to get it right. And and the referees, as, as you say, should be held accountable. They should be made to give um you know post match interviews mm-hmm. to ex- explain their decisions, not just you know it's the same in boxing as well. When you get when you get the judges and the referees who make appalling decisions or or give shocking scorecards, they're not held accountable either. You know, they go, you know, a few weeks later to, to to a board and basically, you know, say it to them, and then it's you know sent out into a statement, which which is ridiculous. You know, they should they should be made to, you know, stand there and 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 say why they did this or why they did that, whether it's 
whether it's right or wrong. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one, Andy. For it. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's take you all back. Do you remember the game, the Man U Arsenal game, the, fa- the famous game where it was a nil-nil game the year you won the league as Invincibles, where you know where the random fans saw him miss that penalty in the last minute and Keown went mental at him. Yeah. Do you remember the Vieira red card where he went to kick out Van Nistelrooy? Van Nistelrooy didn't hit him, but it was a red card because he was still it was still the intent of trying to yeah. kick him. I think that's exactly what it should be in terms of that game on Sunday. I mean that that intent was clearly there from Kane to you know that was clearly a bad tackle. It, it doesn't. It's almost as if you know if the players doesn't make a huge noise and make a big song and dance about it. It's not deemed as a bad tackle these days, and uh, I think yeah. with, the, with the, I mean, the actual Robertson tackle, I remember there was a massive scream from it. Was it I think it was Emerson Royale. Oh it was yeah, a huge yeah. scream, and I think that probably played a huge factor. If he'd gone got straight back up like Robertson did, and he made no fuss about it, it probably would have been a yellow card. It's the fact that I think that's for me. I think that's the reason why because 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 Royale's made a massive scream about it. They've deemed that as much worse. But yeah, the other reason why it's Harry came by. It's, I, 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 yeah. it's hit, I've been yeah. thinking about it the last couple of days. Like, the amount of things he's got away with. I mean, first of all, do you remember the thing with the Ericsson thing where he claimed that goal? Yeah, um, swore in his daughter's life. <laughs> what was that? He, he, he said that he, he swore in his daughter's life, didn't he? Oh, God. That, and that, it was his fault. There's that, and there was the um, oh, there was something else involving him last couple of years as well. Um, he, quite just, often, just, he quite He quite often... As well, he goes in obviously as a striker up against a centre back, where he does that's that thing. Yeah, that's he that's le- yeah, yeah, leans into a defender, potentially causing a defender to, you know, get a serious injury. And he he was allowed to get away with that for so often. Oh yeah, yeah. exactly. Exa- and I, I I get I get that he's you know, he is probably been the best English striker to, certainly over the last four four years. I think he is going to break all sort of, like definitely going to break sort of Rooney's record I think for England I think he's going to break he could potentially break Shearer's record for the league and I think he's obviously a very good striker but there seems to be a lot of Harry Kane bias I mean I think because he's, he's England captain because he's a golden boy he seems to get a lot of decisions to go his way and it's really starting yeah. to annoy me now because obviously I do get that obviously we did give away a terrible goal from Alisson's mistake but if Kane was sent off the, we, we, we'd have won the game no doubt about it because he you know they have been a lot more, a lot more defensive minded. They wouldn't have been quite as attacking to get that second goal. And I think, yeah, I, I think personally that something needs to change about that because he just needs to stop. He can't get away with the get away with these things ever more because these referees are clear. Just they, they, they don't upset Kane because he's he's English captain and, and yeah, it's just all wrong for me, all wrong. And these referees need a look, a long hard look at themselves in the mirror personally. It's just the fact that there's no consistency and it's quite often pointed out in the commentary as well that you know you get a decision one week and the next week you could see something incredibly similar and it's a, yeah. a, you know a completely different decision is given and that can't you know it, it was the same last season you know I remember vividly David Louise was sent off for that um, for the strikers I think it was Jimenez I can't remember who it was where his foot just brushed David yeah. Louise's knee he got straight and, red. and he got straight red for that just because it was David Luiz. That's all that was. It's that a, was... Like, yeah, like some players, they, they can't catch a break really. But no, it's just yes, yeah. yeah the, the officiating in this country is it's it's never been the greatest. Um, obviously VAR was obviously brought in to help these referees, but you know it's, it seems to have made things worse. Like obviously VAR is not the problem; it's just the people officiating and where they're not really held accountable that much, even when they are, they get like demoted to like another league for like a weekend or two. And then they're, they're back to, you know, going back up um, 
doing doing the big games, but yeah, something needs to happen. But I can't I can't see anything ever happening I'm, really because they're never really held accountable um, I'm not, too much. I'm not so, sure why they, I'm not sure they, why they don't trial the same system that's used in Australia and also in rugby as well, where you can obviously hear the referee obviously speaking to the other referee yeah. obviously on the on the, on the field as well as him speaking to the players as well it should be you know part of the broadcast so everyone's on the same page and on the same understanding that will make you know these decisions i think a lot easier for for, for some fans to to almost take but yeah i don't know yeah i think i know why cuz um we see in in definitely rugby especially that the players are quite respectful the referees you know they they're quite sort of almost like they're almost gentlemen but where's football there's so much swearing and the amount of kids that are watching mm, yeah, I, I think thing, yeah. i think that's why just cuz i think they they know kids are watching and they know that or if yeah put, if they put a mic on these on the referee's head they know that someone like back in the day Rooney or someone like someone nowadays like Robertson I know it's just going to swear the referee all the time so i think that's the only reason why I think you just don't want kids to hear swearing. Even if they just broadcast the the conversations between the referees and the linesmen or the referee and VAR when the decision's being made, because again, that's something that we've seen in Formula One this season as well, where if something controversial has happened, which happens <laughs> a lot, you, you you can hear the 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 team you know bosses speaking directly with the stewards as well, which was an which was, a, in my opinion, a good thing. And again, it gives a lot of clarity then to the situation. So I don't know. It's, it, they have some some big... I don't think it's all the Premier League refs either. There are one or two yeah. half-decent refs as well. It's it's the likes of, like say, Mike, Mike Dean is without a doubt the worst. Yes. Oh, no, no I, I, th- I think there's worse. I think, I think um, more than Chris Kavanagh's pretty bad. I, I, oh, yeah, he's awful. It's almost like they're trying to make it just about them, you know. Yeah, my, my Dean's, he is, I, mean, I, I, I think he's funny, but I think my Dean's definitely the biggest culprit for being about him. Yeah, if he's not a secret Man United fan, I'm a fucking alien. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! But that does conclude our podcast for this week. So thank you all for listening, and we'll be back next week for more European football review. So I have been your host, Andy. This has been your, it has been Ryan. This has been Naim. Have a great Christmas, everyone. Yep. Cheers. Cheers. See you later, guys.